You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here is today's message. Hi, everybody. Hi, Calvary. Uh, Welcome to the study of God's Word. Uh, I'm Ed Stetzer, interim teaching pastor here. And last week, you were blessed by Josh. Josh is, of course, my coworker here at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, and I'm so glad that you were blessed by his teaching. And I love that we're walking through the Gospel of Matthew together. And today we're going to talk about the messengers of the kingdom. Our text is actually going to be in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 22. Already had Josh go through Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. So my job is to take you now from verse 12 to 22. It's a lengthy passage, but there's a reason that I want to take it all in one chunk. And the reason for that has to do with the fact that I have actually preached one particular verse out of this passage already here at Calvary. And so um, so I was going through this. I, I, I don't want to zero in on that passage that so we have addressed that, but I'm going to brought more more uh, make this a little more broad. So you remember, we kind of started Matthew and we were kind of weaving around a few weeks. So I, I did Matthew chapter 4, uh, verse 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we're going to get that, but we're not going to focus in on that. We're going to rely on the past message to cover that. Okay, so starting at verse 12, it says this, now when he heard that John had been arrested, he he is Jesus here, when Jesus had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that was pro- spoken of the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Gentile of the Galilee, Galilee of the Gentiles, excuse me. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light and those dwelling in the region uh, in the region and the shadow of death on them light has dawned. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what, what, two, three months ago? was the passage that I spent a lot of time on when I talked about the subversive kingdom. So continuing here, just looking down your Bible, continuing the passage, it says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. So we're going to talk about the kingdom of God, but we're going to talk about the messengers of the kingdom of God as well. Kingdom is like everywhere. Kingdoms and thrones are everywhere. Now, I will tell you, um, I'm not endorsing or having even watched many of these shows, but since you just go on Netflix and you type in king and you'll get all these suggestions, right, about kings and kingdoms, you know, Tiger King, a uh, bizarre series at best. Uh, uh, again, mentioning these are not making recommendation, but The Last Kingdom, The Crown, Barbarians, Reign, Roman Empire, um, you know, Great British Castles, all these things just kind of come up here. And or just the success of things like the Lord of the Rings or the G- Game of Thrones. Again, let me be clear. I'm just talking about 
uh, kingdoms in our culture, right? So people today seem obsessed with it, but um, their ideas are flawed. But Jesus was very focused on the kingdom, um, it, but not on some streaming platform where the show's on. His focus was on God's kingdom. He talked about it more than 80 times, not just idle talk. He saw it as it was with present tense force breaking into the world. He claimed the kingdom of God is near or at hand in Matthew 3, 2. Uh, something to be dealt with right now. So Matthew transitions here from introducing John the Baptist and the preparation of Jesus for ministry to the substance of Jesus' message. Then he calls four of his ambassadors who will spread his message as, as he calls us today. That's what I'm going to get to. So the heart of this is really what the gospel of God, gospel of God is. Matthew uh, defines this in Jesus' initial proclamation. It says, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In essence, God calls us to be messengers who herald the message of the kingdom. Thus, the calling of the disciples is set against his overarching calling of Jesus, right? Um, the calling disciples to enter into the Jesus calling them to enter into the kingdom of God. So Matthew's emphasis that I really want to close with, I'm going to tell you where I'm going to close this message, is immediately they left to follow. Uh, it shows to us what's expected of the disciple of Christ in kingdom work. Um, all things are lost for the sake of knowing Christ. So the kingdom has come, and now the kingdom has messengers. Now, we're going to walk through this, but my theme, you know how I like to put a theme in a message, is that Jesus calls us to follow him and spread the good news of the kingdom. Jesus calls us to follow him and to spread the good news of the kingdom. So we're going to walk through uh, number one on our outline first is this, is that God is the monarch of the kingdom. God is the monarch of the kingdom. It's really important. The kingdom is not some, I don't know, some random sphere of influence, some place where nice things happened or more, right? It's much more than that. Now, let's just quickly take a look uh, at this passage, right? Uh, here, John had been arrested, withdrew into Galilee. Um, and went to Nazareth, lived in Capernaum by the sea, uh, fulfilling a prophecy of Isaiah, and the prophecies there. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, for them a light has dawned. And then from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, so let's look through this at some key parts of what's going on. First is God is a benevolent king. So Matthew ties the kingdom of God to the prophecy of Isaiah in the Old Testament. So God rules over history and prophecy. And now, through his son, the Redeemer, he proclaims the good news of the kingdom. Now, I've got a little bit of a lengthy quote because over the course of its history, Calvary um, was very influential around the world. I mean, the first radio station owned by a church, you know, uh, Calvary. Um, key leader in the idea of the fundamentals of the gospel. And later on, um, became in the midst of some conversations around something called uh, dispensationalism. And some people taught or thought for a while that the kingdom of God wasn't here. It's kind of a future thing. So like we're going to get to um, the Sermon on the Mount soon. And some people 
believed in the past, people love Jesus, love their Bible, that the Sermon on the Mount is for the kingdom age. It's not for today. And uh, that was kind of the idea in and around dispensationalism. Um, but what happened is sort of over time, people began to say, no, there is, the kingdom of God is here. We're going to talk about how. But the kingdom of God is here. Jesus says it too much. So um, eventually people get to talk about the kingdom in this way. And a guy named George Ladd sums up the kingdom of God this way. Let me just read a quote from him because uh, it'll frame and shape a lot of what we're talking about in the weeks and months to come. The kingdom, I'm quoting him, the kingdom is a present reality, Matthew 12, 28, and yet a future blessing, 1 Corinthians 15, 50. It's an inner spiritual redemptive blessing, Romans 14, 17, which can be experienced only by way of the new birth, John 3, 3, yet it will have to do with the government of the nations of the world, Revelation 2, 15. So the kingdom is a realm in which men enter now, Matthew 21, 31, and yet is a realm into which they will enter tomorrow, Matthew 8, 11. It is the same time a gift of God which will be bestowed by God in the future, yet which must be, and that's Luke 12, 32, yet must be received in the present, Mark 10, 15. Now, if you're a little confused, it's, it's, it's okay. It's not uncommon. Uh, that it might be confusing to people. There's a famous sermon, um, and I mentioned this uh, a few months ago, and it's in the African-American tradition, and it's Friday, but Sunday's a-coming. And you've heard it's Friday, but Sunday's a-coming, and we kind of build with this tempo and this, this, uh, this strength of voice. Uh, it's Friday, but Sunday's a-coming. Because in a sense, these are... Uh, like where we live now, right? So the kingdom has come. It's Friday. We live between the good Friday of the kingdom coming and the Easter Sunday of the kingdom coronation. The kingdom has come. I mean, I'm a citizen of the kingdom. So are you if you're a follower of Jesus. That the kingdom, we still pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're still waiting for the coming of the kingdom. So here we are in the middle and the theological term for that that I explained a few months ago is already, but not yet. The kingdom is already here, but not yet here. Now, again, if you go, I want to go back to that because I'm quickly passing through where I would spend much more time in this normally, but I just preached, I just, at the beginning of our Matthew series, we went through this. It's not even months ago, it's weeks ago. So, um, so God is a benevolent king. We start with who he is. Um, but then we don't want to end there. So repentance is our response to the king. So God is the king of this kingdom, and he calls us to repent. He calls us to repent. So let's just review, right? God is a benevolent king, right? His kingdom has come into the world. Jesus, the king, the kingdom come when the king has come. So uh, God's benevolent king. Repentance is our response to the king. So it says... Uh, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Right there, verse 17. So God is the king of the kingdom. He calls us to repent. The appropriate response to the message of the kingdom in the Bible is always repentance and faith. It literally means to change your mind about something. So repentance is changing your mind about Jesus and your sin. You no longer see him as a good man and your sin is not a big deal, but now you see him as a savior and your sin as separating. You no longer see him as just a good example, but you now see him as a sacrifice for your sin. Too many people know Jesus kind of like they know Alexander Hamilton. They know details about him, but they don't 
know who he really is. Or in the case of Jesus, they know who he is, but they don't know him as Lord. So repentance is positive, not negative. It means you change one's mind, turn from our sin, turn to Christ. Matter of fact, it's so positive that actually Paul speaks of it. Let's take a look here in Romans 2.4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead to repentance? Repentance is good news. And so, so we want to see, embrace, engage in that repentance lifestyle for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus calls us to follow him and to spread the good news of the kingdom. Okay, so we're just kind of getting through some of the introductory matter. Let's go to uh, number two on our outline. We are messengers of the kingdom. We are messengers of the kingdom. You probably notice that I... Uh, often record, and um, when I record, sometimes I'll have the logo of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center behind me. I don't have it today, but sometimes I have the logo of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center behind me because I film these messages when I'm not there in person. Um, I film these messages. And just a reminder, we are in person now every other week. We'll be in person this weekend. Um, but I, I film these messages when we're online from the basement of the Billy Graham Hall, where I serve the Wheat God's Billy Graham Center. And you may have seen all over the news, you know, PBS had a special, American Experience, uh, which I have some thoughts on, but I won't give you right now for the sake of time, but it's certainly a one way to look at Billy Graham. Um, but one of the things that we know Billy Graham deeply cared about was telling people about Jesus. So I love being able to talk to you at Calvary when I'm online or increasingly in person, where we can talk about telling the world about Jesus. I love being able to do it sometimes right here from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. Now, why? Let's look at the words of Jesus, what's going on here in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. It says, While they were walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, that's Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter. It's a little strange, but people go by two names sometimes then. Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, we use the ESV at our church. I think the NIV says, I'll make you fish for people. Um, but the idea is clear, is that you are going to now fish. Now, it's funny because, um, you know, people, the fish became an early symbol of Christians. Um, and that didn't have to do with this reference. So, but sometimes people put those things together. But fish is this idea, I mean, Jesus is using a word picture, and fishing is actually a theme they would all know. You're going to seek to uh, catch, right? Um, and so we're going to look through what exactly Jesus meant, because there's some really powerful application here, as well as we walk through this together. So let's take a look at the invitation to the messengers. Right? We're going to quickly through this, right? And he said to them, follow me. There it is, right? Follow me. So we see Jesus calling them to follow him. And really, even the word itself, it's really stronger than just following, like they're walking behind him. They were following more literally in the pathway Jesus had walked. We're joining Jesus on mission. We follow to fish. God sent Jesus to rescue this world. We join Jesus on his mission. We are uh, plan A of God's work, the church. There's not a plan B. He came. He brings us along. He brings us along. And I think getting that changes sort of everything. Um, and when we see what he's called us to, he's called us to live a different way. Now, we can go and follow the world's way. We can follow the world's way. But I, I think we want to follow the Lord's way because he valued people, talked to men and women, 
was not about himself, lived a sinless life, died for you and in your place, offers a life of joy and grace. That's I want to be like Jesus, and that means I want to do what Jesus did. He came, and Luke it says, um, the Son of Man had come to seek and save the lost. So he came before us, then kind of said, look back behind him, said, come, follow me. So it's real good, you know, the great, the quote, the great poet of our day, Bob Dylan, you're going to have to serve someone. Um, it may be the devil or maybe the Lord, you're going to have to serve someone. And this reminds us that we follow someone who goes before us. I love that. Because um, this is amazing truth. There are countless gurus, leaders, would-be authorities in your life, but only God loves you so much that he would call you to follow him, sinful as you and I are, and invite you through repentance to be a part of his kingdom. He's a Lord worth following. So, but it doesn't end there, right? There's more to the story. There's the transformation of the messengers. Love this, right? We get a clear call, but it's followed by a fascinating clarion statement that most people don't consider much. It says, follow me and I will make you, like create you, not like force you, but I will make you. So he's going to make you, right? What does that mean? It's, it's uh, the converse imperative here is that Jesus will make you to become fishers of people. The idea here is behind you is to make you to become. It's awkward. It's awkward in English. It's a little awkward in the Greek. Um, it could be that it means Jesus will send you out to fish for people, or it could be that he will teach you how to fish for people. So either work. And I think probably that's the point. Either these work in the context of the apostles. Jesus came to be seen as both sending them out to evangelize and one who teaches them how to evangelize. So it's not that he forces you to fish. It's that as you follow Jesus, he makes you into the one who fishes for people. That's part of growing in the Lord. We call that discipleship. Here's the amazingly good news. Jesus calls you to follow him. But then he promises to make you what he wants you to become. He will do it. He'll make this of you. So most of us think, um, we kind of think about evangelism. That's like the deacon who said to the pastor, Sure, Pastor, I, I believe in evangelism, but I didn't realize it meant me witnessing. <laughs> we love the idea of evangelism, but sometimes are fearful of doing it ourselves. As a matter of fact, I often say that everyone loves evangelism as long as somebody else is doing it. But Jesus never calls us to do anything without giving us the power to do so. And part of the adventure of following Jesus to see him stretch us, push us out of our comfort zone, to, to grow. And, and we do so knowing knowing that, that he is the one doing it, right? We give him glory for it. Why? Because we see over and over again uh, in the scriptures, it says, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, right? So the Lord wants to grow you into a person who fishes for others. There's an old expression in preacher world, right? God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. As we follow him, he makes us become what he created us to be. And part of that's telling others about Jesus. Now, I will tell you, um, Calvary, we have a long history, a very passionate history of evangelism. But times have changed. And by that, I don't mean that that's a good thing. Um, in culture, evangelism has changed as late, right? Uh, the way people respond has changed. And... Um, so the call remains. As a matter of fact, one of the things that a few years ago, um, about five years ago, I left my job and the Washington Post actually called me and they asked me to write an article about why I 
left my job. I was leading something called, I was vice president of something called Lifeway. And there were a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons was, was I wanted to help Christians in the next couple of decades that I might do ministry to prioritize sharing the gospel. They, they titled the article, call yourself a Christian. You can Google it. Call yourself a Christian. Start talking about Jesus Christ. In there, I said, Jesus' last word should be our first priority. So our call always involves sharing the gospel. So tell about him. Now, it was funny because it got some people so mad. Um, because the spirit of today is a little more like what you see on Facebook sometimes. There's a quote from St. Francis of Assisi. People put it on Facebook all the time. Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. Well, two problems with that. First, he never said that, so there's that problem. And second, it's really bad theology. Other than that, you can post anything you want. Uh, but no, no, no. Jesus is at work in the lives of people before you show up. You're following him there, and your call is to share the good news of the gospel with them. Now, I will tell you, this has been a hard year to be sharing the gospel, but we are coming out of that year. We've all heard the governor has even announced that Broadway is going to be opening in September. But we know we're moving to fuller capacity. People are taking off masks. Here's the thing. If the last... 18 months or however long it's been. Seems like longer than that, but it's less than that. But if it's this year, year and some change has caused you to pull back on your gospel sharing, I am not mad at you because it's done for me too. Let me just be honest. So I, in the before time, before COVID, I, as a spiritual discipline, made a commitment to share the gospel with somebody once a week. Uh, not to invite them to church, but actually try to have a conversation. And consistently the Lord honored that prayer and I had the opportunity to do so. Uh, and I actually encouraged my team to do that as well, my staff. And I would turn to them in staff meetings when we used to meet in rooms together. And I would say, tell me who you shared the gospel with this week outside of a local church setting. And um, if I was the pastor of Calvary, I would turn to our staff and say, tell me how you shared the gospel this week outside of a local church setting. However, COVID has made it hard. So many of the people I meet, you don't have face-to-face -face conversations, right? So... I'm committed. I'm redoubling my commitment to get back to that now that um, people are starting to open up and have those kind of relationships. Now, I want to encourage you to consider what, how might you do that as well. Don't miss this. Jesus sent you and is making you into a fisher of people. All right, so let's, let's go on to the next thing. I, I get pretty passionate about this, and I know you do too. I know you care about this, right? But we got to seize the moment for this. We can say, here's the, you know, people, church members love evangelism. Let me just, let me just personally, people at Calvary love evangelism as long as somebody else is doing it. Now, that's true for all of us. So we've got to prioritize this personally. Let's, let's move on, or I'm going to start preaching a whole sermon just on that. So the commission of the messengers, right? So quickly, we're going to go through this. We got a clear call, then a clarion statement but now a central priority, right? We get a clear call, a clarion statement, now a central priority to be fishers of men. So before we even get to the what's called the Great Commission in Matthew 28, which we're going to get to, I don't even know, at this current pace, um, you'll have a pastor long before we get to Matthew 28. But um, we see Jesus commission the disciples in their work, right? But the disciples were already commissioned as, as fishers of men and women. So... And the text really makes a point here, right? The text is, if you'll, if you'll notice, um, Matthew's really making a point. These are fishermen. I mean, along the Sea of Galilee, right? So clearly making that point. Then they're casting their net. 
And just in case you forgot, it says, because they were fishermen. So why so much emphasis on that? Well, in some ways, it's emphasizing the plain and ordinary stature of the disciples, right? They were just regular folks. Um, and lack of education, people talked about that a long time. But the point that was that, that we were emphasizing their fisherman status was it wasn't, I mean, that disciples were not empowered by their natural ability, but by their spirits indwelling. God builds his kingdom and he uses ordinary vessels. Second thing I would say, it's, you know, it can be used as a metaphor, linking Jesus calling to be fishers of men, right? Um, and, you know, fishing actually carries some religious significance. We don't have time to unpack all that, but you can find it in the Bible commentary if you're interested. So fishermen might be simple folk, uh, though I will tell you, I've never found fishing so simple or easy. Um, but with not much of a reputation to lose, uh, we see our faith, though, is also itself connected to this truth. You'll receive pressure, some of it from others, some of it from eternal, some of it you're in yourself, talking to yourself, to not speak of Jesus lest they think less of you. But think less of yourself and think more of Jesus, and the results will be that Jesus is glorified. Jesus is at work in the lives of people before you show up. You follow him there. And I'm going to talk about how we can do this together. Jesus calls us to follow him and to spread the good news of the kingdom. And this is where I want to close, right? And um, I know online it's a little harder. That's why as we move to more and more in person, encourage you again, let's plan to be together next week in person. We're now every other week and soon weekly. Let's rejoice together as we build towards that. But let me close with this because I, I try not to go too long when we're online. But number three on our outline is that urgency is a mark of the kingdom. I love this. I don't want you to miss this. Urgency. We get a clear call, a clarion statement, a central priority, but the heart of the passage may be a Christian response immediately. They left their nets and followed him immediately. There's nothing more important than following Jesus and telling others. There's nothing more important than following Jesus and telling others. So I love the immediacy. Right, this immediacy is found kind of throughout the whole text. Right, so let's not miss some of the immediacy that we see here. Right, um, it's it says this, and going from there, he saw the other two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee. Um, right, so they immediately left us following. This is verse twenty-one now. Um, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee the father, mending the nets. He called them immediately. They left their boat and their father and followed him. So verse 20, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. James and John were brothers, uh, the sons of a man named Zebedee, fishing partners, right, with Andrew and Peter. And they, he and his brother John were nicknamed the sons of thunder by Jesus. But Matthew is trying to tell you something. Remember, our gospel is written by someone, about someone, and to someone. Matthew's trying to tell you something, some things, right? He is showing you how Christians respond to Jesus. Matthew gives us important clues on the correct response, right? Notice how uh, the story is repeated twice in order to reinforce that there is a proper and only response to Jesus. Uh, Matthew uses repetition a lot, in most of, more than any of the gospel authors, as a literary tool to drive the point home. So first, Andrew and Peter are called, and then James and John follow the identical pattern. Here's the pattern. First, immediately... Second, leave. Third, follow, right? Immediately, Peter and Andrew left their nets and followed him. Immediately, he called John and James, and they left their fathers, Ebony, in the boat and hired servants and followed him immediately. By using immediately twice, um, we, we notice that, that Matthew's drawing the reader's attention to the 
temporal significance of the term, immediate of the term, immediately leave. Not only was a decision that needed to be made, decided, and then to go, leave. Disciples uh, point us to to following Jesus when it costs us to leave some things behind. All of us have left some things behind, right? Um, immediately leave and then follow. Jesus is fishing them to be fishermen. Matthew is stressing that discipleship as a core is Jesus inviting them to participate in his mission, to follow him. They're not just encouraged to like hang around with him, but they're to follow him and become fishers, feed people who fish for people. I will make you become fishers of men. So I, I want you as I close to immediately agree with Jesus and respond to his call. I don't have like, you know, the band playing behind me. I don't have the organ music. I don't have, I don't, you know, I can ask you to take a moment and slow down and think this through. I love that God calls us to immediately reply. Here's my question for you. What is God calling you to do and how are you going to immediately reply? What are you going to leave? You got to leave what needs to be left and then you got to follow to fish. And I'm convinced that if you will immediately reply, leave what needs to be left and follow to fish, that Jesus will indeed be at work in the lives of people before you even show up. You're following him there. And since a Christian does what Christ says, you can't rightly follow Jesus if you don't tell others about him. Immediately reply, leave what needs to be left, follow to fish. I just think we can make those words of Jesus our priority. Jesus calls us to follow him and to spread the good news of the kingdom of God. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you. Maybe a friend invited you because they heard these words of Jesus, right? They're sharing with you because they've heard these words of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you today to immediately reply. I'm going to give you the opportunity to trust and follow Jesus just in a prayer in just a moment. If you are a follower of Jesus, I'm going to ask you, how do you reply to this call today? Will you leave what needs to be left? Will you follow to fish? Who might you this week share the gospel with? You know, we have, we've got a, a Sunday in person coming up, right? We've got a consistency now heading to Hunter College. We've figured out the app, or if not, we're going to figure it out this week. It's not that difficult. So we're going to gather together. Let me just tell you, I get that the pandemic has made it hard for all of us to share the gospel. Let's now emerge showing and sharing the love of Jesus. Immediately reply, leave what needs to be left. Maybe it's your fear. Maybe it's your reputation. Leave what needs to be left and let's follow to fish. Would you pray with me? Lord, I do thank you for your grace and your goodness. I thank you for uh, the fact that we're seeing change in our pandemic world. Lord, I pray that that might burden us once again to show and share the love of Jesus. Father, I pray that we would immediately reply. Just as you're praying, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're watching, I'm so glad you are. I'm so glad someone invited you. Maybe you want to pray this simple prayer with me and call upon the Lord's name. Say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I repent or turn away from my ways to yours. Forgive me for my sin. I repent. I trust and follow you, Jesus. Let's make it your prayer. Just silently say it to the Lord. I commit my life to you. Father, I pray for women and men who may have just prayed that prayer, that they would share with us through our either calling the church or sharing here online. And Father, we could start those journeys together. And Father, I pray for those who are followers of Jesus, that similarly, Lord, we would immediately reply. Father, I pray right now you would, in the minds and hearts of our Calvary family, you'd put a burden for evangelism, for sharing the gospel. That right now you would burden 
some of our church family with particular specific individuals that this week we could reach out and invite to our in-person service coming up this week. Father, I pray that you might burden us to immediately reply, to leave what needs to be left. Lord, help us be less concerned about our reputation and more concerned about yours. And Father, we will follow to fish. For it's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org slash give or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.